You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. You know, symbols uh, can be meaningful and powerful. Um, They can be... uh, they can lead whole movements, symbols can. Uh, but we realize that symbols are meaningless when we think about who we really are. And in our country, we have this symbol of freedom. It's a bald eagle, but compared to who we really are, patriots, that symbol is meaningless. And uh, I want to encourage you today as you watch the great game that everyone will watch in our country today to embrace who you really are a patriot at heart, and forsake the symbol, because it's meaningless. Okay, you can take your seat, you can take your seat. Y'all thought that was going somewhere, y'all said, man, this is deep, I need to take notes on it. (laughs) Man, I'm glad you're here. How many of you are glad you came to church already? Good. I hope so, I hope so, I got a word for you, I can't wait. Uh, By the way, I hope you enjoy the notebooks that we gave, the binders we gave you, you can use that to put your note cards in and keep those uh, in those binders instead of in your Bible. Sometimes people's Bibles become their filing cabinet, and so you can just store your note cards there for the rest of the year. But I remember about four or five years ago, uh, I was sitting at Fairgrounds, it's this coffee shop in Kent, I was sitting in a side room there, and I was uh, planning out what kind of church we were gonna be. See, we're a church, we're three and a half years old right now, so this is before we launch, yeah, that's a good thing. This is before we launch, And I was planning out who we were going to be. I was writing down our mission and our vision and our code of values. I was coming up with our culture because before you can bring somebody to something, you got to know what you're bringing them to. And so I had to develop all this. And I was was sitting there in the side room at fairgrounds just writing all this out. And then I started thinking to myself, you know, I need to start inviting people to come be a part of this thing. Because if I don't invite people, then nobody's going to come and then we we won't have a church. So I said, I need to invite some people. And there was this girl who was sitting at a table right next to me. And I thought to myself, oh, I know, I'll invite her. And then I immediately got terrified because it meant that I had to actually say something to her. I had to step outside of my comfort zone. And, and it's hard for me to do that. And, and, but, but then I remembered a story that I heard from another guy who started a church years ago. He said, uh, we went into this gas station and uh, we walked in and I asked the attendant, do you know of any good churches around here? And she said, no, but if there were a good church, I would be a part of it. And then he said how he told her that he was going to be starting a church, and she broke down in tears and said, we've been waiting for something like that here. I can't wait. And so I remember that story, and I was like, I'm going to do that, and she's going to cry, and this is going to be awesome. So I I summoned up all the courage I had in me, and I interrupted her. I said, excuse me, I am so sorry to interrupt you, but do you know of any good churches around here? And she said, no, not really. I don't really go to church. I'm not really religious. And I said, oh, okay, cool, no problem. Well, uh, if you did go to church, like, what would you look for in a church? What are some things you'd, you'd look for? And she said, I don't know. Like, I haven't really thought about it again. Like I said, I'm not really religious. I don't really go to church. I don't know. And then I just cut to the chase. I said, okay, here, here here's the reason, because I'm expecting tears to pour out now. I said, here's the reason, because I'm actually in the process of starting a church here in the area, and I'd be interested to know what you would look for in a church so you can come and be a part of it. And 
she said, oh, that's really awesome that you're starting a church. But like, I, I don't really know. I mean, I'm not really religious. I don't really go to church. But I do have some friends who are really religious. I have some friends who love church. You should talk to them about your church. And when she said that, I thought to myself, here's what I said. No. No. I don't care what your religious friends think about church. I don't care. I don't want to hear from your friends who love church. I want to hear from you because we're starting a church for people who don't go to church. We're starting a church for people who would never set foot in a church. We're starting a church for people like you. But I didn't say that. I, I instead just said, oh, that'd be really nice. Okay, enjoy your latte. And, and that was it. That was the conversation. But see, for her, she thought church was for good people. She thought church was for religious people. She thought church was for people who love church. She didn't think church was for her. My wife used to work with this guy, uh, I call him Greg, and uh, Greg is an alcoholic. Greg has a huge problem with alcohol. Uh, Greg has lost jobs because of his addiction. There's been times where Greg has had so much to drink where he's passed out in parking lots and never made it home. And, and, and this wasn't just one time, this was multiple times. And Greg is a great guy. He's personable. He's friendly. And I remember when I first met him, I was talking with him and I said, hey, you should come to our church. And he said, oh, no way, man. You don't want me coming to your church. It was at a wine fest. He had already had a few. And so he's like, no. And I said, no, for real. We would love you to come to our church. And he said, man, if I walked in the building, uh, if I walked through the doors, the building would burn down. And that's when I reminded him that we meet at the Norva. And I said, I think worse people than you have come in this building and it's still standing. You'll be fine. But see, for Greg, when I talked to him about church, he thought church was for people who didn't have an addiction. He thought church was for people who could say no after one or two beers. He thought church was for people who could actually make it home to sleep in their beds at night. He didn't think church was for him. I remember this past summer, we, were, uh, we had a team of people out at Town Point Park. We were passing out cards and koozies on 4th of July uh, just to let people know about our church. We passed out thousands of cards and koozies. And I remember these two girls who walked by and I passed them, a, uh, I gave them a card and a koozie and, and, and the girl asked me, she said, what's this for? And I said, oh, we're a church. And she said, oh, you don't like us. I said, what do you mean we don't like you? She said, trust me, you don't like us. I said, we don't even know you. How do you know we don't like you? And she said, the church doesn't like us. And I wasn't sure what she meant or where she was going with that. And, and I started to put context loose together. I looked at them and I saw that they were pretty close and I saw that they dressed a certain way that fit a certain stereotype. And I, and I said, wait, is it because, are you, are you gay? And I whispered it. You know, like when you whisper something, like you don't know if you can say it or not, so you whisper it because it makes it less bad. And so I was, is, is it because you're gay? And she said, yeah, we're gay. And I said, oh, well, we would love for you to come to our church. And she said, are you serious? I said, yes, I'm serious. She said, are you for real? I said, of course I'm for real. She said, shut up and dance. With no, she said, she said, really? I said, yes, I'm the pastor of the church. I'm telling you, we would love for you to come to our church. And she said, no way. I said, yeah, we meet right over there at the Norva. She said, we've been to the Norva. I said, you've been to our church, then you just got to come on Sunday. She said, we might just come. See, for those two girls, they thought church was for straight people, not for them. And I wonder if you've ever felt that way. That, that church is for all the good people. Church is for all the religious people. Church is for all the church people. Church is for all the people who have their lives together. Church isn't really for me. 
You know, we've actually had people uh, come to our church who, who believe that, who believe that church is for the religious people, church is for the good Sunday morning church crowd. That's what church is for. But those people haven't stayed very long at our church because when they came to our church, what they found out, what they realized is that we're a church filled with imperfect people who don't have it all together, who are trying to figure this out and realize that we need God's love to complete us and make us whole. And so they came and they realized, oh, this isn't for those good church people. I don't quite fit in here. And if that's you today, if you believe that church is for all the good, moral, religious people, then this series is going to be really tough for you to follow along with because we're starting a brand new series today called God for the Rest of Us. Next week, yeah, next week we're, um, I'm going to teach from this title, God for the Doubters. Because the truth is, even if you have doubts, even if you're not quite sure, God is for you, and God loves you, and God calls you to Him. So God for the doubters. The following week is going to be God for the hurting. The week after that is God for the religious. Because believe it or not, religious people actually still need Jesus. And so we're going to talk about God for the religious. And that's going to be a tough week maybe for some of you. And then the following week is going to be God for the rest of us. But today I want to teach from this title. If you would take a moment to write it down in your note card. The title for my sermon today is God for the hookers. God for the hookers. And now would be a great time if you have a kid who should be in our children's ministry. Go ahead and check them in. Um, But God for the hookers. Now, I want to encourage you to, before you start to tune me out and you start to think, wait, this sermon isn't for me because I'm not that, uh, I want to ask you to reconsider and consider that this sermon actually is all about you because I know that this sermon is, is all about me. And, and there's going to be some points through this sermon where it gets a little bumpy. I want to ask you to stay with me throughout the whole thing because we're headed somewhere and my hope is that you'll see just how scandalous grace is and that grace has been applied even to you and even to me. You know, oftentimes we, we learn best through metaphors and similes and analogies and, and stories and, and object lessons. Uh, and, and because of that, God uses object lessons all throughout the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, there was this time where he told this Old Testament prophet Jeremiah to take this clay jar and smash it in front of everybody. And then he preaches this sermon. He says, just like this clay jar was shattered in front of you, the nation is going to be shattered because we've rebelled against God. So, so there's a time God tells Jeremiah to do that. There's another time where God tells this Old Testament prophet Ezekiel to tie himself up and lie on his side for 390 days. And the reason he does that is the 390 days he lies on his side represents the amount of years that Israel rebelled against God. And when people come to see this crazy man lying on his side, God gave him a message to say, we're about to be attacked. Another nation is going to overthrow us because of our rebellion. So God uses object lessons all the time to get, uh, to, to get his message across. And there's this one bizarre object lesson that he uses in this guy named Hosea in, in, in his life. And I want to show you the object lesson he uses. So if you have a Bible, would you open up to Hosea chapter 1? verse 2. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. We'll have the words from the screen as well. But God tells Hosea to do this really bizarre thing, to be an object lesson for the nation of Israel. Here's here's what he tells him to do. Uh, Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. says, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. 
like, I'm not even sure where to start with this. Um, <laughs> sometimes I meet people and they say, oh, I just want to do whatever God tells me to do. Just want to follow God, just want to do whatever he tells me to do. And then I think about Hosea. And I want to say, you sure about that? You sure about that? I just want to do whatever God tells me to do. I want to do his will. God told Hosea to marry a hooker. You sure about that? Now, now God tells Hosea to do this one time to show the nation of Israel something, but God tells us to do some crazy stuff sometimes. God tells us to do some difficult stuff sometimes. See, sometimes people say, I just want to do whatever God tells me to do. But what if God told you to love your enemy? What if he told you to forgive somebody? What if God told you to live beyond yourself, to spend yourself on behalf of others and serve others? What if God told you to live with open hands and exercise generosity? You sure about that? And what's fascinating is God has told us to do those things in his word already. Sometimes I meet people, they say, I just want to do whatever God tells me to do. And I would just say, well, are you already doing what he's already told you to do in his word? Let's start there. Let's start there. And, and so God tells Hosea, I, I want you to marry this hooker. And um, I wonder what Hosea's reaction was when God told him this. Like, like, I wonder if God said, hey, Hosea, I want you to marry this hooker. And Hosea was like, you want me to marry who? What? I wonder if Hosea said, hold on, God, can we, uh, have you thought about this? Let's, let's just take a brainstorming session right now and just kind of think through all the different options. So, could, could I, so you want me to get a message across to Israel. Could I maybe, how about this? How about this, God? How about you tell me what you want me to say to them and I'll say it. How about that? How about we just do that? Or if, you, if you're big on object lessons and you want them to see it, how about I just paint them a picture? Can I just do that? But God says, no, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. And when she cheats on you, that's what he said. See, so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. When she cheats on you, when she sleeps with other men and has their babies, that's going to be an example of what Israel is doing to me. And unbelievably, Hosea goes through with, God, with what God tells him to do. Hosea chapter 1, verse 3. So Hosea married Gomer. Let's just stop right here. Out of all the prostitutes in Israel, he had to marry one named Gomer. Like you couldn't find somebody named Elizabeth or, or Sophia. You had to find somebody. Gomer? So not only is he marrying a hoe, but he's marrying a hoe named Gomer. Hosea married Gomer the daughter of Deblame. And she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. Well, this is good. This is good. So he marries Gomer and she gets pregnant and gives him a son. This is, this is cause for congratulations here. Hosea is now a father. Gomer and Hosea, uh, husband and wife, father and mother. He has a son. This is awesome. But the story continues on. See, Hosea married a hooker and she didn't stop her hooking ways. And so as the story goes on, what we see is uh, Gomer has another child. Soon Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, name your daughter Loruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. See, earlier in the text it said that 
Gomer gave Hosea a son. So we know this is Hosea's son. But here it just says that Gomer became pregnant and gave birth to a daughter. Didn't give Hosea a daughter, but she became pregnant, gave birth to a daughter. And what's the daughter's name? Not loved. Hosea said, uh-uh, uh-uh, not loved. I, I don't love you. What? That's somebody else's kid. Gomer has cheated on Hosea. She's gone back to being a prostitute, sleeping with other men, having other men's babies. Men, how would you feel if your wife went and slept with other men and had other men's babies? Probably wouldn't be with her very long. But this is the kind of heartbreak and the pain that Gomer causes to Hosea that she brings into his life. And she has a, 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 a child that's not his. And he names her not loved. But, but, but she doesn't stop. It goes on. Hosea chapter 1 verse 8, after Gomer had weaned Lo Ruhamah, she again became pregnant and gave birth to a second son. And the Lord said, name him Lo Ami, which means not my people, for Israel is not my people and I am not their God. This doesn't get any more explicit than this. Hosea, uh, his wife, Gomer, has a third child. He said, not my kid. Like, how'd you like to be called that? Not my kid. All, all your life you're growing up knowing my identity is not loved or not my kid. See, Hosea experiences tremendous hurt and pain from the unfaithfulness of his wife. Can, can you just imagine the pain he must have felt? Can you imagine just what he was going through? This, this woman that he's married to, this woman he's faithful to, has gone and cheated on him time after time after time. And for nine months, he has to watch her carry somebody else's child. Can you imagine the pain he must have felt, the hurt, the betrayal he must have felt? He was enraged by it. And this is an object lesson, again, correlating Hosea and Gomer to God and Israel. Because here's what God said he wants to do with Israel. Here's what Hosea says he wants to do with Gomer. Hosea chapter 2, verse 10. I will strip her naked in public while all her lovers look on. No one will be able to rescue her from my hands. He's saying she's going to get what she has coming to her. She's going to get what she deserves because she's hurt me. She's betrayed me. She's going to get justice. That's what justice is. Justice is when we get what we deserve. Mercy is when we get what we don't deserve. But grace, grace is when we get the opposite of what we deserve. And we're, we're about to see grace in a moment. But Hosea is so fired up. He's so mad. He's so indignant. I can't believe she would do this. I will strip her naked in front of all her lovers and nobody will be able to rescue her. That's exactly what she deserves. It's punishment. It's punishment. And remember, this is an object lesson between God and Israel. See, see God said about Israel, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call you out of slavery. I'm gonna free you, I'm gonna deliver you, and I'm gonna give you a land to be your own. I'm gonna give you my law, and I've called you to love me. You are my people, chosen by my name. And when you love me, when you have this relationship with me, I will bless you and the world will take note and they'll say, we want what you have. And you'll be able to say, the only reason why we experience what we do is because we have a relationship with God. That's how God set it up. So that the world would see these people who are following him and say, I want what you have. But Israel abandoned God. Israel rebelled against him. They said, we're gonna go our own way. We're gonna do our own thing. And God likens that unfaithfulness to him with this prostitute who runs back to the streets to engage in illicit acts. And this, this is sin. See, sin is everything we've ever done to rebel against God. Sin is everything we've done to, to go our own way instead of God's way. And, and I, think, I think sometimes we try to downplay how 
disgusting and grotesque sin is. We, we say things like, well, well, I just messed up, or, or I just made a mistake, or I slipped up. But I think we need to call sin what it is, and we need to put it um, in, in, in a parallel position with the story of Hosea and Gomer, that every time Gomer leaves the house and flees to another man, that's the equivalent of sin. Every time you and I sin, it's, it's on the same level as that. And oftentimes we simply wash our sin away. We sweep it away like it's no big deal. I just made a mistake. I just slipped up. But I think we need to call sin what it is. We need to realize just how disgusting it is. It's gossip. I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out what I should do and I'm bouncing off ideas. No, it's gossip. Just call it what it is. It's lying. It's cheating, it's stealing, it's pride, it's arrogance, it's greed, it's self-righteousness, it's envy, it's impurity, it's jealousy, it's drunkenness, it's dissension, it's not doing the good we know we should do. It's sin, and it's gross, and it's disgusting, and our sin separates us from God. It's because of our sin that Jesus came and lived and died for us. It's our sin that caused Christ to be crucified on the cross. We can't cozy up in bed with it and defend it like it's no big deal. If we saw sin for what it really was, we'd run from it and say, I don't want anything to do with it because of how gross it is. And we have to understand just how stained with sin we are so that the message of Hosea will resonate with us. See, we, we, have, to, we have to get this. We, we have to get this. We, we have to understand that the story of Hosea isn't just about Hosea and Gomer. It's not just about God and Israel, but it's about you and I and God. See, sometimes we try to um, separate the spurs from the scriptures so that they don't stick us and convict us like they do. Sometimes we try to make the scriptures uh, sanitary so that the saints of God can sit in a seat on Sunday morning and hear a nice sermon and feel good. But the, the, the truth is the scriptures are gritty. The scriptures are real, the scriptures are raw, the scriptures at times are rated R, and the message of Hosea is that God is the faithful, loving husband, and you and I, we are the whores. Bet you didn't think you'd come to church and be called a whore today, huh? <laughs> I don't really like that. I don't like it either. I don't like it either, but this is the message of Hosea, that we are the whores because of our sin, we're separated from God and we deserve his wrath. We, we have to understand what Paul writes in Romans chapter three, verse 23, when he says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have to understand what Paul writes in Romans 6.23 when he says the wages of sin is death. We have to see ourselves as Paul did when he cries out in Romans 7.24 and he says, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? We need to understand what Paul wrote to his protege Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15 when he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. See, when we understand how guilty we are, how stained with sin we are, how wretched we are, grace becomes so much more amazing. <laughs> you wanna know what's so amazing about grace? Discover how 
jacked up you are. And then you'll see, oh, God could love me even in the midst of that? See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus explained um, how we receive grace. Again, justice is getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting the opposite of what we deserve. 2,000 years ago, Jesus explained to a man who didn't really understand how great grace was when he went to his house. See, Jesus was invited to this religious leader's house. He was a Pharisee. That's what a Pharisee is, a religious leader. And so, so Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. The text here says, when an immoral woman, this is, she's a prostitute. Everybody knows who she is. Everybody knows where she's been. Everybody knows she shared her bed with all kinds of men. They know who she is. But she hears that Jesus is in town and she comes to him. Here's what I found. The people who are the furthest from God were most drawn to him in the scriptures. But today, the people who are farthest from God feel like he wants nothing to do with them. And they got that picture from Christians. At some point, we've distorted the message of Jesus because Jesus welcomes this woman. This religious leader, he sees it and he's stunned. It says this, she, she came and she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisee, when the religious guy, the, the good church going man who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, well, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And then Jesus told him this story. He said, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Grace, the opposite of what they deserve. He gave them grace. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right. And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they're many. Like, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He's like, her sins? And she has a list. Her sins? And there are many have been forgiven. So she has shown much love. Why, why, why? Because she understood all of a sudden how amazing grace was. Because she realized just how wretched she was and how this man Jesus could love her in the midst of that. Though her sins, and there are many, she's been forgiven much. And she's realized it. She's shown me much love. But a person who's forgiven little shows only little love. See, we have to understand that in the story of Hosea and Gomer, you and I, we are the hookers. But that's good news because God is for the hookers. Jesus welcomes this prostitute in and gives her forgiveness. 
despite her sins, which are many, because God is for the prostitutes. God is for the sin-stained. God is for the people who don't have it all together. And you're about to see it in Hosea. And listen, you gotta get it. We are the hookers. You gotta get it. You gotta get it. Because if you don't get it, then what I'm about to show you in Hosea won't mean that much to you. If you don't understand that you and I, we are the hookers, then you'll miss the magnificent meaning and the message of Hosea. What I'm about to read to you, if you just understand how wretched you are, how disgusting you are because of sin. And listen, I'm not saying this. The scriptures are saying this. And I'm talking about me too. When we understand just how far from God we are, then what we're about to read sounds like music to deaf ears and seems like light to blinded eyes. It changes everything. Because God says through Hosea, because of your sin, I want to strip you naked in the, in the, in the town uh, center and have everyone look on you. That's what you deserve. But I'm not going to do that. Look at Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. Look at what God tells Hosea to do. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, listen, I know she's gone and slept with Jack and John and Joe and Jimmy, and I don't know any other J names, but I know she's went out and cheated on you and hurt you and engaged in illicit acts. But here's what I want you to do. Go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Look at verse two. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver, five bushels of barley, and a measure of wine. Hosea journeys into the red light district of the city, finds his wife. Maybe she's coming out of one man's house. Maybe he bursts in the bedroom while she's in the act. Maybe she just, he just sees her on the streets. I don't know what it is, but he goes and he pays a price to buy his wife back from her pimp. And he brings her home and loves her again. He restores her. And this is grace. God said, your relationship with Gomer is my relationship with people. Even though she doesn't deserve it, even though she's wretched in the, in, the, in the acts that she's done, love her. Buy her back. In the same way, just as sin stains us, God sees us and he doesn't see us for our sin, but he sees us as his sons and daughters. And he says, I will buy you back and bring you back. See, the good news of the message of God is not Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But you gotta have Romans 3.23 to have Romans 3.24. You gotta understand Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You gotta understand just how stained you are so that when verse 24 comes, everything changes for you. Then you just realize how scandalous and amazing grace is for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here comes verse 24, here comes the grace, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's not the good news, that's the truth. Here's the 
good news, here's the grace, but the gift of God, the gift of God, the gift you can't earn, the gift you don't deserve, but the gift God freely gives you is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what's so amazing about grace. I don't deserve it. I know that's the point, and God gives it to you anyway. God doesn't see you in your sin. He sees you as his son, as his daughter. I wonder, I wonder if some of you have accepted the grace of God and it's been cheap to you. Because you thought, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I try my best. I do everything I can. And, you know, I kind of I deserve it. If so, grace is just a word to you. And it's not that amazing. If you've ever sang the song Amazing Grace... If you really understand just what you've been saved from, if you really understand that God paid a price for you, if you really understand how much God loves you, then as you sing the song Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Those aren't words to you, but it's like, oh man, the sound of grace is like honey to my lips. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When you understand what you've been saved from, when you understand how immense God's love is for you, you can't sing that line and not break down in tears. Because I didn't deserve it. I did nothing to earn it. But God saw me in my sin-stained state and said, I love you and I'll make you whole again. I will redeem you. And I will call you my child. I will adopt you into my family. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Because you don't understand. I mean, I was lost. I was lost on a path headed to hell. But my heavenly father found me and redeemed me. And made a way so that I could have a relationship with him and be with him in heaven forever. When you understand grace, I don't know how you can talk about it and not get worked up. See, God said to Hosea, I want you to go buy back your wife. And he does. He buys her back with some silver, some barley, and some wine. But again, the story of Hosea and Gomer is a parallel story for you and I. What's so amazing about grace is that Jesus saw us, the hookers, and he bought us with his life. That God paid for our sin with the sacrifice of his son on the cross so that we could have life. And this is what attracted that prostitute to Jesus. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure why she came that night to, to, to meet with Jesus and to pour the perfume on his feet like she did and, and to wipe his feet with her hair, but, but I have a pretty good guess. See, in the chronology of events that leads up to that, uh, Matthew chapter 11 happens just before Luke chapter seven. If you go and you read Luke chapter seven and you go back from that story, you'll see a parallel to Matthew 11. And what happened was that morning, Jesus came into that certain town and he started preaching a sermon. 
And I don't know how that woman, I, I, I think she probably heard that sermon. I don't know how she ended up there. Maybe she heard that Jesus was gonna be in town and she heard that he was capable of great things, so she went to go listen to him. Or maybe she didn't know at all. Maybe she was just leaving a, a client's house after engaging in some act with him. And she heard a commotion down the street of this crowd surrounding Jesus. She didn't know what was going on, but she walked over to find out. And as she, as she walked up, she heard Jesus say these words in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. See, a yoke was an instrument that farmers would use to connect two animals together to plow a field. And Jesus says, look, I'm carrying this yoke. Come be tied to me. Come be connected to me. For my, my yoke is, is easy and light. Jesus promised a life of, of, of lightness, a life that would lead to true life. And I wonder if for the first time in this woman's life, she heard a man who was saying, I wanna give something to you instead of take something from you. I wonder if the reason why she was drawn to Jesus that night is because she heard him say this and, and she, she heard about a man who offered forgiveness for all that she had ever done. And it didn't matter who she was or where she had been, but he said, come to me, all of you. And he didn't categorize it. He didn't say all the good people, all the people who have their stuff straight, all the people who know what they want in life, all the people who love God. No, he said, all of you, come to me and I'll give you rest and I'll lead you into a life that's light and easy. And then later, Jesus would go to the cross to take our sin on himself to pay our penalty, giving us the opposite of what we deserve. The wages of sin, the scriptures say, a wage is what you earn, it's what you deserve. You do work, you get paid a wage. The wages of sin is death, that's justice. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The grace of God, we get the opposite of what we deserve through Jesus. God says, Hosea, go buy your wife back. God says, Jesus, would you willingly lay down your life to pay for their sin so that they can have a relationship with us? Jesus went to the cross to take your sin and my sin because ultimately God is for the hookers and that's good news for each and every one of us. That is good news for me and for you. And I wonder this morning if you've ever made a decision to accept the grace of God, to say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me on the cross, that you rose again from the dead. And because I've encountered that kind of grace, it changes everything in my life. I wanna follow you. I wanna give you my life. I want you to be the leader of my life. And it all begins in baptism. Being baptized into you, washing away my sins, and having your spirit come to live inside of me. I wonder if you've ever made that decision today to say, I believe in you. I wanna make you not just the savior of my soul, but the leader of my life by following you. And I wanna be baptized into you. If you've never made that decision, I wanna invite you today to do that. When you came in, you received a note card and at the bottom, there's a perforated section there. 
And at the bottom of that, there's a box that says, I want to accept Christ as my Savior and be baptized. If you're ready to make that decision, would you mark that box and drop it off at the black tables, either one? And we got some people there who would love to talk to you about that decision. But that's what's so amazing about grace, is that God is for the hookers, hookers like you and me. Would you pray with me? God, I wanna thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. You know, I'm a little offended at being called a hooker. But when I really look at your holiness and how great you are, I'm just as bad. And that's why I'm so grateful that you could love somebody like me. God, I pray if there's anyone here today who feels unlovable, that they would know today beyond a shadow of a doubt that you love them. You've called them by name and you are for them. Pray if anyone needs to make the decision to say yes to you, that they would do that. And God, thank you for the example you showed us through Hosea, that no matter what we've done, you bought us back and you paid a great price to have us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.